Real Talk on YouTube. Real Talk. Let's get straight to it. Those tropical birds of paradise behind us? Yeah. They look like a fracking, uh, like a stork with a mohawk. Look, <laughs> for real. Yeah, they're pretty sick. Is that how they bloom open? Like up off yeah, the top? Yeah. That's they're sweet. trying to find that sign, cuz. That's sweet. You man. know? That's sweet. Well, we rolling. Are we out there? We're out there. We're literally out there in the sun. Bro, that sun, it's like when you plug in your electric razor and it goes like, 15%, 50, I'm sitting at a hundred, <laughs> you know, fully charged. Yeah. You've talked about like kind of just how much the sun can affect things and dude, it actually is crazy. It just makes you feel dude, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is just my observation and kind of an ignorant thing to say, but bro, like whenever we're walking around and driving around out West in these in these sunny climates, even in the middle of the winter, or you're in California or even like Florida versus like going to like New York or Michigan or Cincinnati, like just the people's approach is just more kind of light and positive. Yeah, no, I agree. The sun makes people happier. Yeah, there's no question. That's for sure. I feel like, like there has to be correlation too on like when you're driving in traffic, it's a rainy, sad day and people are so much more angry and stuff. 100%, yeah. I was just in Colorado, dude, last week and it was, it was like that. It was freezing and everyone there was so mean. I mean, they were just like kind of rude. Yeah. Like they were just like a little bit, nothing against Colorado. I've not had that experience, but yeah, yeah, they were just like not really happy. I get like that if I get a hold up in Fayetteville for... 10 days and it's like just kind of rainy and cold and I'll struggle, man. You know, I'll struggle to find the motivation. Yeah, and NWA is crazy on the weather. I mean, it was like 60 last week, 20 today. It's going to be 70 next week. Like, it's just weird. I know. I know. There's always that saying, if you don't like the weather in Arkansas, just stick around a day. Yeah. And you never know. Yeah. That is true. You're all, you've always lived in Arkansas, hadn't you? I have. Yeah. And I've literally, I think, seen it all from blizzards to the hottest days I've ever experienced. Like, uh, you really get a variety, like tornadoes, earthquakes. <laughs> it's all of it. Everything yeah, but a tsunami. Have you read about the stuff going on with insurance rates? Mm -mm. The insurance business is being upended, and the rates have just skyrocketed. Um for different reasons in different areas, but Florida, there's been so many people moved to the coast in Florida and the hurricanes have proven that insurance rates, premiums, both need to be high to cover the damage that will absolutely happen. And so somebody's got to carry that cost. And then the same thing in Northwest Arkansas with roofs, there's going to be changes. There already is to the way that insurance companies are gonna cover roofs now, it used to be like, oh, I saw a little bit of hail damage and these insurance companies would come in and literally replace the whole roof. Those days are gone. And that's why we've seen our premiums go up because if everybody gets a free roof, somebody's gonna pay for it. And so there's new regulations um, that are actually already imposed right now to where the 
inspection and the requirement to meet for a new roof for a claim is much more stringent and it's going to be way more difficult. Dang. So Will ask your insurance agent about that. You think that'll affect the way agents kind of like present to their clients like, hey, this house Absolutely. is good, but this it does gonna, it's going to need a new roof in two Absolutely. years now. Do we have agents that have noticed on an inspection, you know, that there was a minor amount of roof damage and have used that as a negotiating point to then be get their buyers a check cut at the closing table for sometimes $15,000 for a new roof, which keeps the deal alive. And that won't be the case anymore. And so they'll kind of lose that lever to pull in their negotiations if there is some damage on the roof. Dang, dude. Yeah, it'll it'll be different, but it should be. It was way too easy to get a brand new roof. Well, and I always have people, I have people knocking on my door every day to go inspect it because they want to help you kind of, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's low key in any other type of insurance. What happens with roofs sometimes would low key be called insurance fraud. Right? Because, like, they used to just put it. new roofs on people's house for nothing. I never understood it. I never understood it. There would be a little bit of damage in a corner, and they would cover to replace. I got my roof replaced because of it. Yeah. I know a lot of I people. Mean, but, yeah. So there's some changes going on there. And That'd that'll be, affect us in, in WA. You think those roofers, like guys who own roofing businesses, they just, like, they see hail falling, and they're just they like. They love it, bro. <laughs> It's like whenever you hit the freaking jackpot at the casino. It's the same sound they hear when that hail hits the roof. <laughs> it's not hail falling, it's money falling exactly. for them. Yeah. And do they'll just like as soon as you'll feel a little you'll hear a little hail, you'll I'll start getting texts. You know, from these roofers. Yeah. If you if your agents need anybody to inspect their houses tomorrow, let me know. Dang. One hailstorm is enough income for them. For two or three years, correct? I really don't know how that works. Yeah, but I know I feel they like they like have it. such an influx in business. I know they love it. That's funny. Man. Yeah, that's yeah. That'll probably be a good change. That's good for realtors to know for sure. Because I feel like to be equipped with stuff like that is just where the realtor on the buying process yeah. is so important. Yeah, I know, I know. Because I knew I I didn't know anything about roofs till I bought my first house. Yeah. It's important that realtors do have a broad scope of knowledge and maybe not necessarily expertise on um, outside industry things, but a resource for somebody who truly does have expertise. And so this is that case. They need to understand what insurances will cover on a damaged roof and how that process works to a degree. Because it has changed. And so, yeah, insurance agents, um, it's always important to link up with people, including an insurance agent as a realtor. It goes back to that activating thing you were saying, too. In that case, it's like the most practical ever, you know, because you were talking about you introduce two people and you're always that person who introduced them, Mm -hmm. no matter where the relationship goes. But in the same way, like that's even more. I mean, golly, if you have a professional who's helping you with all these little things too. Mm-hmm. And it can keep you connected with a client, right? For years, because they'll yeah. call you as a resource. Yeah, yeah, and that's what you want. All things real estate. You want to be their resource for all things real estate. Yeah, yeah, it's like a resource. Yeah, service after the sale, and it will keep you involved in that relationship yeah. if they know that. And, I, it, and, and, it, and we should have 
a continuous relationship. You know, people buy seven times in their life. And the question is, are you the type of realtor that is going to do one deal with seven different people? Or are you going to do seven deals with one person? And the answer to that is always the latter. You want to look at a client and be their resource for life. You want to provide so much value, even after the sale in the interim, when they're not buying and selling, that then they know they can trust you whenever they do buy or whenever they do sell. Yeah. And so that takes work. And I think, I think we as real estate agents have to understand that it should be earned you know, it should be earned. I think sometimes people get a little upset if they don't get the call back to be their realtor if they bought or sold, but they had used them previously. And so automatically, the move is never to kind of go, I'm the victim. They should have called me. The move is to go, man, where did I, where did I misread that? Where did I not provide enough value to them? after the initial sale, mm -hmm. where could I have shown up for them? Where could I have inserted myself to give them information? Where could I have stayed top of mind? And so it's, it's the mindset and the resource thing. When things come up, I want them to think about me as a realtor, even if it is hell damage. Oh, I better call Stu. Cause yeah. I know he'll have a guy or a girl that knows exactly what they're doing when it comes to assessing the damage and then getting me the highest amount possible from the insurance company. Yeah. Could you find anything? Be looking for stuff. We may come back to it on the insurance claims yeah. on the amount of money that have went up, maybe specifically in the state of Arkansas on roofs. Yeah. Uh, I'll just that Arkansas. Okay. Arkansas has 3,000 is their average home insurance compared to the national average of 1,800. So it's more. Does it indicate why? Just more, so we have more storms, natural disasters, blizzards, things like that, compared to the normal state. It's kind of a variety too. You're mm -hmm. getting snowed on, and then like I was talking about earlier, the next week, hell, <laughs> and then the next week, it's 100 the degrees melting storm, that. Yeah, and it's lightning, like trees falling, 40 mile per hour winds, and then hail. Like, yeah, it's just we have such a variety to uh, cover. Yeah, and so, interesting. Yeah. What were you thinking of? So when you were saying that, I was thinking too, though, of how agents. I think that's the exact reason to hit a few points, but they kind of go together. That's I think why agents have to focus too, in my opinion, just from what you've taught me us kind of doing this where I'm asking these questions, don't you think agents need to focus on being a true professional who knows everything about the real estate itself, not even just the industry, but the, cause I think you see a lot of agents who focus on sales. How do you sell yourself? How do you reach out to clients? How do you get leads? Yeah. All those things. And that's what a lot of brokerages talk about and people talk about cause it's the hardest part honestly, because you have to figure out your style. But in a way, I feel like too, you have to remember to equally balance, hey, I can't just, I gotta remember how to treat this client after I've landed them. And I need to be able to provide them all this value mm -hmm. so that I can get them again and again mm -hmm. and again. Mm -hmm. And I think what it made me think of second is, 
as a realtor, you're always competing with friends and family because everyone has a friend who's an agent mm -hmm. or family that's yep. an agent. And I think the only way to win is by being a true professional, yep. not just nicer than yep. their friend or family. Yep. And professional to qualify that is somebody that's going to give you an edge because of the amount of value that they're providing you. Yeah. Right. I think in any business, it doesn't have to be real estate, but we have, I've done this, like our customer journey. You want to have a customer journey for everybody. If you walk into Dick's and you're looking for a soccer ball, they got you pegged within your demographic of the type of journey that they want you to have. And so they may have a specific person standing in a specific location of a store that engages you in a certain way based off the fact you're a curly-headed bad boy in your 20s, right? And you're a male. And so that customer journey that we have is so important to close the deal, to solicit you, create a funnel, get you to transact. The biggest issue, most places customer journeys do not extend after the sale. We, as real estate professionals, should consider our customer journey as a never-ending journey. It may be more hyper during contract to close, but customer journeys, good customer journeys that are truly getting to the heart of building a relationship and value must extend after the sale. That's the hard part because it becomes, it becomes more about the relationship and it becomes unselfish, frankly. They may never buy again, but they chose to use you. That means something. That relationship should be valued and potentially will buy and sell, potentially will refer you if you earn it. And so the customer journey, if it doesn't extend after the transaction, regardless of the business, you're selling yourself short. And a reason is as well, third party reviews, word of mouth referrals are still to this day, the most trusted form of advertising in the world. That's not changed. And that was prior to all the social media stuff as well. So somebody going, Presley, Spencer is the best agent, and let me tell you why, is more powerful than anything that he could ever read, that he could ever see, that is ever going to be marketed to him digitally. Yeah. And that customer journey is valuable after the sale because it offers that opportunity for agents. Yeah. No, I agree. And that's why I think agents need to learn how to kind of reverse activate, you know, be an activator. And I think by being an activator, you're kind of doing that because, you know, there's this owe me feeling where if you if I refer you to someone, you'll feel a little obligated the next time they ask about my industry to refer me. Mm, and yeah. so that's why activating is really cool in that sense. Yeah, too. It is. It is. But I think it's making you appealing because you're right, like me being in social media marketing, kind of that world and industry of real estate, there's a lot of power in it, but I will never claim there's more power than a referral mm -hmm. because there's something about that trust because mm -hmm. you're not bragging on yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the problem. You're, you're bragging on yourself a little with social media in general, even trying to be careful. It's just hard not to, you know, it's, it's hard to not 
talk about how good you are, but be careful with Doesn't it. Doesn't Elon Musk subscribe to some of that? Some of the word of mouth, just you create the value and then you allow people to talk about how great it is from a marketing standpoint. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, he Versus spent... just blowing up tons of money on ads. Yeah. Well, I, I... Is that true? Yeah, look it up, but I think I with Tesla... Remember. He didn't do advertising until this year. Okay. And this was the first year because his shareholders acted like he was an idiot. Okay. And they demanded he it. He understands the power of word of mouth marketing. Well, there is no substitute. What you got? Have you ever seen a Lamborghini or Ferrari commercial on TV or anywhere? No. Never. Never. It's because their product is so valuable, it's so highly rated and so highly like in demand. They don't need to, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you create the value, you create the product, and it starts talking for itself. Well, one of the coolest things Elon did with that is I've never seen a referral program in my life like this. He had a referral program where basically if you shared a link to your Tesla special code and a lot of YouTubers and social media people would get on there and review a Tesla and then share their link. If you gave out, can you look up what the old referral was? But I know if you gave out one car, you got like a year of free charging for your car. One person bought a car with your link. And it, up to like five, if five people bought a car, you got a free car. I mean, like it was crazy. And he was doing, it might have been like 20 cars, but he was doing this where you could just get a free car for referring people because he understood the power of that. Exactly. And it was a $200,000 car. It was a roadster, I believe. Last thing on this topic, as a business person, as a professional, it's so important to remember when you get referred, that is the biggest act that somebody can give you as a gift for your business. And so you do not ever only reward the outcome of the referral, you don't ever just reward if you close the deal. You reward the act of the referral. And so what otherwise should have been a marketing dollar, you need to do something really good and frankly probably spend some money on that person that referred you. Yeah. Because you refer the act, not the outcome. Are you saying at the lead base, you at, get a call from someone? At the lead base, you say, hey, Tammy just called me and said that you're my realtor. Will you call Tammy and you say, Tammy, I want to do something good for you. Versus, well, let me see if I can turn this deal into something. And if it does, I'll send Sam Tammy a gift or whatever. You refer, you refer the act. You classically condition the act of referral at a very high level to reward that. Because man, we can never lose sight of how powerful that is. And a, a lot of times you do see that on people's email signatures. The best thing you can do for me is give me a referral. Like, and there's, and, and there's a reason for that. Yeah, absolutely. Did you look up the referral, the Tesla referral? Yeah, there's not, I think it's just contextual on the referral and stuff and kind of what they, but it doesn't say anything specific as to like, it just says typically referral programs offer incentives such as discounts, free supercharging miles, or other rewards to both the referral. They probably had to remove Well, it. they did. So yeah. they gave out so many roadsters that didn't come out. This was like in 2020 because I have a buddy who did it. 
And so they had to switch it to a points-based system where now yeah, you have like that makes sense. points and you can spend it in a store and you can buy miles, like charging miles. You can buy access to like the Cybertruck launch event and some cool stuff. Nice. But he understood, the point is he understood that power, like you're saying, in word of mouth, nothing can stop it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is more powerful. And that's why I've told you when we're talking about some of these cool videos we've had the opportunity to do it with Collier and Associates, like I've told you, hey, I'd rather spend a little bit extra time and energy making a video someone loves mm-hmm. and organically just gets yeah. shared yeah. than to put ad dollars. I think ad dollars are kind of dying in a way. Yeah. I think a lot of people aren't spending as much money on marketing themselves, and it's good for agents. I think it's a pure way to look at your business because word-of-mouth referrals don't happen unless you're providing the value and the experience that is worth remarking on. So in a very check-and-balance fashion, it keeps us all honest and I hope we never lose that. There, it, it is not a gimmick. It is not a trick. It is based on me serving you so well that you want to then talk about it. Then I get that business and it feels good. It's, it's not a trick and it's not a gimmick. And the great thing about word of mouth referrals, it pushes us to provide the value. And then it can be long term. Yeah. It can be forever. It can run forever. And it catches like wildfire. Because if I have two brand ambassadors out there, well, then those two are going to create two more. My services, my value is is ever-changing and ever-improving. Those four are going to create eight, 16, 32, 64, vice versa, all the way. And so if we just focus on the value and the experience, then the word-of-mouth referral organically expands and grows and it's a beautiful thing and it becomes long-term and it keeps us all based on us serving the public in our own way. What'd you have? I was just going to say this study was showing 92% of consumers trust recommendations from friends and family over all forms of advertising. There you go. Which that tells you a lot about. Come on dog. That's solid. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. One, I mean, we don't do free shout outs. Come on. No, I'm kidding. But Maybe they'll send us some joggers or something. Who was that? But Bearded Goat, dude. Okay. Bro, they used to have one of the best referral programs ever, and I really think it helped launch them to where they are now. And as a local business, it's cool to see. But Are they doing well? I think they are. I haven't really heard they of They kind anything. of have switched their demographic, I believe. Sorry, Bearded Goat. Their, their but brand I think they've is switched cool. I mean, it's almost too cool, though. It's sick. I mean, it's just like, it's it's... Yeah. They've switched to more of a sporty, like, they reach out to a lot of surfers, a lot nice. of snowboarders, stuff like that. I noticed, like, they did their first snowboard line recently, but, dude, they had a really good referral program because, basically, if you got a buddy, this happened all throughout high school for me, people would have codes and stuff, and you got 20% off if you gave it out. Yeah. So, buddy, like, you wanted to use someone's code. Yeah. And then, in return, the person who gave you that 20% got like store credit and I have buddies who have an insane amount of bearded goat stuff purely from the referral program and one of them sold a hundred and fifty something different items in like a month or two for bearded goat no one had to do like they didn't have to spend 
really any money. They cut back margin probably and they're good. Mm. <laughs> like it's crazy. And it was such a powerful way to advertise because people were wearing it. People were excited. You saw someone with it. You wanted it. You'd get to go get a code. Like it created something I don't even think they knew it mm -hmm. created. Mm -hmm. And then they killed it yeah. and it died. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I know Willie we, C. Yeah. Do we see like, because I know, first off, we have some people who listen to this podcast who might not even know you or what you do. Um, and so I think it's cool to first start off with kind of how you got here, like what, what you did to start Collier and Associates. I know we've talked about it before, but I think this is the seventh or eighth episode. Like we got to remind the people. Uh, and then I wanted to go in kind of, I just had some questions too that yeah. of like, Basically what you I'm learned. I'm game to answer whatever you got, you know. I yeah. always, I try to, I, I want to be just like as open and real yeah. as, as I can be, you well, know. I mean, I, I really, so ask away. Yeah. Yeah, so for the first one, honestly, like I was just going to kind of get into basically, so you founded Collier & Associates local Northwest Arkansas brokerage. And I guess the first question that I've asked you before, yeah. um, but with you, I never know, you know, how you'll twist this one answer either. So did you expect that you would get the brokerage, you know, like, did you start it thinking it might be a five agent brokerage yeah. or, t or did you have this vision of like, yeah, you know, whenever I initially started, it was simply just, uh, survival thing you know it was just like trying to make ends meet mm -hmm. and so absolutely not I was I was just trying to do anything I could to pay the pay the mortgage truly yeah. I mean really that was what was going on and so I was doing some uh, repping for um, a healthcare clinic here and there uh, writing uh, offers on commercial contracts and then uh, a few friends and family tight friends and family that would buy every now and then I wasn't doing much um, nonetheless I started as a way to just generate income as a realtor or as a as a broker um, and then being in the business had an opportunity to meet someone who then came over and when that individual came over, they actually were doing a lot of business. They were actually a good real estate professional. <laughs> yeah. I never was that great. Um, that was crazy. Yeah. I wonder if they could see that on camera. If they couldn't, there was a hummingbird that just literally was like right by my yeah, ear. Super interested in what we were saying. Yeah, it was listening, dog. <clears throat> and so whenever she came over, and joined, I started seeing her deals come through and just recognizing a few, maybe what I thought were inefficiencies in, in our local brokerage market and um, challenged some of those. And so that was it. But no, I never, I never intended on starting a large brokerage by any means. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to make ends meet early on. Working at a coffee shop, you know, I truly didn't, didn't have an office or anything. Yeah. So I was... It was rough. I mean, for the first, honestly, dude, even when we had like 30 agents, 35 agents, I was still going paycheck to paycheck, honestly. 
Like I would just be looking at the transactions, hoping that a few of my agents would close something. Yeah. Truly, like for a while, people don't realize that. Oh yeah. It's I like mean, we've been through. open 10 years or so, a little more than that. And I would say the first four was just a cut even survival, just, just, just enough to keep the lights on. Yeah. Well, I feel like you grew at such a rate that basically to continue to grow and not cut the growth, all that brokerage money just had to go straight back into the brokerage Absolutely. just to survive, just Absolutely. to grow. Absolutely. And to, hey, we need an you, office now. We can't, 30 people can't pull up to a coffee shop. You were shop. exactly right. Presley, my son, and you and I were talking about that last night. Yeah. Like, we weren't taking vacations. We had some money coming in, but it was all going back in because I believed in the people that were coming over. And I could feel that we were doing something. And and so I bet on that. I bet on that. I trusted my gut and I bet on that. And I bet on those people. And we didn't do certain things that we could have done if we wouldn't have reinvested it. Yeah. And so that that really worked out. It was a blessing that we had those people come on. And I think a lot of the growth and momentum was we got the right people early and those right people attracted more right people. And then those quadrupled and yeah. Well, I've told you to that. I think that's a common thing I've always told you. I really respect about Collier and Associates and that the culture, whether you built it intentionally or kind of got lucky and stumbled upon it, the culture that's at Collier and Associates is what makes Collier and Associates. And it's amazing. And that's, I think that's what really helped succeed. It's amazing. It's such a blessing. And everybody that is over there has adopted it. And I think it started again with the first 10 people we got right. And we're very careful about who comes over and who we let in. But the culture is one of shared values. Um, It's one of let's figure out who is best at what and allow them to give that to the group for the greater good. And if we can have 250 people share collaborate on what their best unique skill is. We have 250 skills that are all at the top of their game sharing with 250 people. Yep. And the power of that is phenomenal, but it takes a culture of trust. Absolutely. I mean, it's 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 a very faith-based thing to go, I'm going to tell you what I'm best at. Yeah. But there is a principle, and you got to give it away to keep it. If we are willing to share our value and our perspective and our skill set with somebody else, inherently it grows within us. It's an abundance mindset, and we always end up doing more business and becoming more successful in the long run. Yeah. And our agents have bought into that, and it's been a beautiful thing to see. And I don't think I really had a whole lot to do with that. I don't know if it's luck or just kind of the, the people that were already there or I don't know, but it's, it's such a blessing and it's the power behind every great organization. Yeah. It's never the leader. It's never the leader. It's not. If the leader can allow people to share their strengths, 
that's it. Yeah. It's never, it's never the leader laying out, this is the way it's going to be. There's got to be a level of flexibility to go, I believe in you, I believe in you, I believe in you, go. Well, especially for you and in real estate, because you're working with independent contractors who can kind of do their own. I mean, you're not sure. assigning tasks and no. stuff. And so that's what's cool is this. And I love the environment of the sharing. Because how many agents are in Northwest Arkansas total? Shit, dude. I don't know. Can you look that up? Like maybe 3,000. It's changed a lot. So There's a lot. Yeah, there's but a lot. Half of them sold one house or less. Yeah, but it, I mean, I mean, still, like I'm saying, Last year. your competition isn't the people within your brokerage. That's too, I mean, like if, if every house in NWA was sold to a Collier agent, everyone would be fine, <laughs> like, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that's what's cool. You guys have really taken in is like, nah, it's not like this, I can't share this with them because they're gonna go take my clients. And it's honestly yeah. impressive because that is a scary thought. Well, sure. You gotta have some trust in your buddy. Absolutely. You know what I mean? No, and yeah. It definitely takes some trust and... I mean, that's like calling a buddy and saying, hey man, I can't go on my vacation. You think you could take my wife down to the beach house and spend a week? You yeah. Know? <laughs> You're putting some trust in your homie there. And so it is. It's it's like you kind of got to step out there and trust him. You say, hey, here's how I operate. Here's how I grow my business. Here's what works for me. And... Uh, no, I agree. So here's some questions based on just your story and because you've obviously, I think the biggest thing you've learned, you probably just realize two or three years later, looking back, and so it's kind of cool to see 10 years now, just lessons you've learned over doing business and making connections and activating and all the things that you've worked on. So what would you say, what would you say is probably like the biggest just overall business thing you learned about starting your own business, just like agents have their own businesses. Mm -hmm. um, you know, whenever you ask a question like that, it is, it's hard to nail down a real specific. For sure. But I can tell you involved in that answer somewhere is the recognition of people's skills and abilities. And sometimes I had to get out of my own way to recognize that. And I think that's why they say hire people or affiliate with people that are smarter than you. And so for me, you know, I feel like I learned a lesson early on that I'll never be able to create the change that I want to create um, in a vacuum or independent of other people. And so if that's the case, if I, if I need people in order to create change or be successful, then how can I recognize in other people their gifts, strengths, and abilities? And if I can recognize those gifts, strengths, and abilities, then I must not try to control those gifts, strengths, and abilities. And I must just create this environment that they can operate in and be their best in with some flexibility. 
And I think I learned that pretty early on. And I still feel that as a very tried and true truth, not only in business, but in my life. Knowing that, hey, I can't change people, places, and things. So if I can't change them, maybe I can recognize those gifts and abilities and create an environment that then they can blossom and show those and make change. I agree. With a shared purpose. Well, and that's a hard question. And I I think you nailed it because, like, I'm purpose was giving you kind of a broad one to kind of start the conversation because when I was going through it, I was thinking, well, I want to see what comes to your mind first because I know that, that that means it's it's pretty fresh but also relevant because you've probably learned a thousand different things like anyone. You learn even the basics of what tax forms do I need for running a business, but I wanted to see kind of where you think the importance of like – I guess my next question. I appreciate the question. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my next question too was kind of a similar one, but a little more on you, but kind of funny. I mean, you can make it, it could be something, anything, but what would you say is your most improved thing you've learned? I mean, I know it's, that's also hard because you've probably changed so much, but from when you started to now, was there anything you looked back, you were like, I was so off on that Mm. and I'm glad I recognized it. That's a great question. That is a great question. You know, I'll tell you what I was off on, bro, that I still struggle with. I used to used to think that controversy or heated conversations or disagreement or opposing thoughts and ideas was something that I needed to pacify, stay away from, um, and avoid at all costs to continue to progress. And I still struggle with this because I still want people to like me. I really do. Like, I I care about that. Um, But some of the the best growth that I've had in business and personally has been when I do have a very, very opposing perspective or viewpoint with people on my leadership team or other people's associated with, with the company. And so now I have become comfortable with, with that you know, with just saying, listen, I may not be right, but here's my truth. And I've, I've become way more willing to say it at the risk of that person not liking me, which I care yeah. if they like me or not. And so that has really helped me and really helped our business because I've found, and people say clarity is kindness, and I think that is true. And I've found that the people that are willing to oppose me and tell me the truth, I just have more love for them in the end. They care enough to be honest, and they're willing to put themselves out there a little bit for me to go either A, thank you, or B, how dare you disagree. If you're not going to get along with this, you better go find something else to do. And they're putting themselves out there. 
And I never want to be the person that would ever hold anything against somebody for being honest with me. And so I have had to mature. And that's been a kind of a hard maturation process. But it's something that I've learned along the way. And I try to not steer away from anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, that's a really good word because as someone who talks to a lot of agents and works with a lot of agents, me personally too, something I figured out is I've got to see some of agents that work for you kind of mature in their business, you know? Mm -hmm. Start out where they called me about their first photo package ever. Like, we need these photos I want to do. And then seeing them a year later where they're doing multiple deals yeah. and the photo thing's nothing for them. Like, yeah. oh yeah, we're on our 50th yeah, photo yeah, package. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've got to see that. And one thing I realized is the maturity of an agent's similar. It's realizing that, hey, maybe you don't have to tell your client, you know, yes all the time. Hey, we want to list it at 1.2. It's easy to say, yeah, sure, yeah. I'll put it up there. But it's the right thing to be like, I ran the comps. Yeah. I know you want 1.2, but we're going for 999. <laughs> like, it is not 1.2. And I noticed that those are the professionals. Like, the agents I see that are just honest. That is such a good point. That is such a good point that you just made. And and I think just like what I was just speaking toward, I think clients appreciate that. Mm-hmm. They want that honesty. It's like, listen, Bob, 1.2 is not what the market's showing, right? You're going to list it. We're going to get frustrated. It's not really allowing me to do my job. I value my time. I value you as a client. Here's my truth. It's 900000 Yeah. And you're risking that client firing you and going hiring another realtor that'll do it for 1.2. But anybody that is worth working with will keep you because you're honest mm-hmm. and probably establish a long-term relationship with. And, I've and seen, so you are dead on exactly right. Well, and I've seen agents who are the opposite like that will, and there's always going to be those. Yeah. Yeah. And they never get that client again either because they listed at one or two and it sits for eight months and they the person's frustrated. like, why'd you not tell me? They get frustrated. <laughs> they get frustrated and they go back to you who told them 900 in the first yeah, place. Because you were like yeah. the honest one. Yeah. No, I, mean, I, I agree. I think that's a huge business lesson in general in any industry too. I mean, I have to use that in my business of, hey, it might not be easy to tell this client that that's not possible Yep. or this isn't going to look good, even well, though bro, you created Remember you set me in my place. Yeah. I called this curly-headed bad boy, P, and I was like, what are you doing? We need B-roll. I want people at Mojo's and Onyx eating pizza and drinking coffee. Go do it. And he was like, Stu, I got to get releases to do that. And really, it's just illegal to just go up there and start taking people's video and putting them in our curated video. And I said, um, I guess I was feeling prideful or something that day. I was like, man, quit being a wuss. Just go do it. It doesn't matter. Go. Yeah. And he, t- he looked at me and he said, I'm telling you, your boy is not doing that. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, it was the first time you really were just yeah. like, and I just remember thinking, God, dude, I really respect that. Well, and Thank it was, you, Spence. And so I, if you noticed, I backed down. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. I'm yeah, on absolutely. one. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Because I was there listening to that phone call. We were like, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. P was telling me, he was well, like, Daddy's right. And I was thinking in my head, I'm like, I could say yes. Yeah. And it wouldn't be any hair off my bag. Because sure. honestly, I had to kind of do more to work the same angle of, hey, there are people there. Uh, and it, yeah. And so right, I was like, yeah. it'd almost be easier. But then I'm going to get fired tomorrow because I'm going to get him sued. I know, <laughs> like I, I know. Some girl's going to be like, I'm not supposed to be yeah. on camera at a coffee shop. Yeah, that was And funny. he's going to be like, why'd you not tell yeah. me? So I was like, and it's the same thing with the house prices. Like, there's times yeah. it stinks. Yeah. You're, in a, you're yeah. in a horrible situation. I know, I know, I know, I know. But, man, it's good. So I, I have learned that, Spence. <laughs> I have learned that, to not shy away from my truth and perceived controversy or opposing ideas. Yeah. Well, I have a list. I don't even know if you know that I have of just kind of things you said you learned. And I think it was one of those just like you're just feeling out like as you were thinking this stuff. But one I love on this list of things you learned was always seek to learn. Mm. And it's a mindset, isn't it? Absolutely. And never and thinking you've met and made it to the top. I think life would get boring if you did, cuz, <laughs> you know, it's like. Life would get boring. Always find the wonder in life. Like this tree, like even like the branches, they're going, growing upwards, you know? They're trying to find the sun. Like I'm curious about that. I'm trying to learn about that, right? Yeah. Think about the roots and how deep these roots have to be for a tree this big in the middle of the desert. And then how photosynthesis works to then create the green which is beautiful, which the green color can attract specific animals that can then, you know, get food out of the tree. Maybe it's a, a worm. Like, and so to be in a constant state of learning is to be in a constant state of awe and wonder and excitement about life. Yeah, that's a good word. And so, yeah, whatever, business, we can learn about that. It's all the same thing. But the value is in the understanding of something because then you own that information it's not in i need to learn this i need to do this so then i can have this final outcome of money or whatever the case may be the value is in the joy of finding things out yeah and the pleasure of that and so to say you always want to learn you're cheating yourself if you if you if you kind of get to the point where you're like yeah I think I've done enough I think I've learned enough I got enough money in the bank I got my family it was like boy you're really cheating yourself yeah when in history would it ever be would you ever have the luxury to even say that you know what I mean like it's a modern day thing where if you're not a king or you're not in some royal position that you could even be able to do <laughs> yeah. that without starving or, yeah you, know, you wouldn't yeah. Even have the luxury to say yeah. that it's enough or you know what yeah I mean? so deeply within us it's like it, it's it's something feels off if we have that mindset you know because we have to wake up every day regardless and keep pushing keep leveling up yeah well and, i mean it's and society's set up for retirement and you see that it's like you just want to work so hard so then you can get to retirement and then just not have to work or not have to learn and it just, it's, it just, I don't think that humans are built for that. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, look at human nature. What kind of like you were talking about too, 
this feeling of like, do you have enough? Whether it's learning, have you learned enough? Or do you feel like you have enough in life? And you hear it all the time about the richest people or the smartest people just not being happy with their life. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. I, you hear all these actors and actresses who have millions and they just have anything they want. And they're like, I don't know. It just, it's, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's still not enough for me. Mm -hmm. And that's why they have, I mean, there's a lot of those people who unfortunately kill themselves and mm -hmm. stuff. Like Robin Williams. Like mm -hmm. you would think that guy had everything. That's right. And he's still that unhappy. Yep. And so I think there's this misconception. And I think that's why our human nature is to always chase something. Mm -hmm. And you always have something you're trying to get. Mm -hmm. And you'll never actually get it or you'll get so close. And the pleasure's in the process. In the small. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Contribute to the common good. It's like the herd mentality, the community. Well, and that's one of the things you literally put is help the struggling. So kind of contributing to. That's an easy one, cuz, because I've been the one struggling before. Like, I, that has to be number one for me because so many people were there for me when I was struggling, and I have struggled, you know? I have struggled. I mean, from going to rehabs to all the things that I've done and even having to sell my house and rent, like, financially struggled, and there have been people there you know, and man, I can never forget that. And so I think that point, it keeps me grounded on where I've come from and all of the benefit that other people have given me when I was struggling. And it creates some humility in me. But then the biggest thing, it does keep me mindful of how grateful I could be or should be and mindful of opportunities to at least recognize when people are struggling. Yeah. Maybe I can help them, maybe I can't, but at least recognize when they're struggling. That's a big one for me. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. And I think it's harder the more like successful or, you know, busy you get is to remember to look out for the people and to re recognizing it even. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's I think the biggest problem in mm -hmm. the world in general is people not even recognizing certain struggles. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. I guess we could wrap it up with just something a little more loose. We've gotten pretty serious on it all. I mean, I the think- The opening it, was very loose. Yeah, but I think, I think people like But I to, think you gotta match the energy. This is the energy. It's quiet, we got birds, I mean. I agree. It's okay, I promise. Do you ever, like, do you actually just kind of, like, come out and meditate ever? Or I just breathe, sit on the ground I do and breathe? breathing exercises, yeah. I think that's huge. P got me into it. It is huge, huge, huge. Something about just being outside is relaxing. I think that there's so much value in being outside and feeling connected, hearing the birds and and the way society is, especially with the eight to five always, and school systems. I think the whole school system's jacked up for kids. I really do. 
Like these kids need to be outdoors more. They do not need to go inside cinder blocks for eight, nine hours a day. Yeah. No, I agree. I always... I know. I, I know. think it's why you see so many kids with such bad ADD and I stuff. I swear, dude. Because they're I just swear. wanting to go. I've always thought it's too in their creative outlets. Like in school, Absolutely. you can't be that creative, and they have this urge to create. Mm. That's why you see people doodling and I know. making things Absolutely. in the back of a classroom yeah. instead of paying attention. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Can I ask you a question? Absolutely. Okay. I'm curious to know, as a young person, you have been able to go to college, to graduate, come out, and own and start a small business that is already successful in year 23. Most kids come out of college, there's no other option except to work as a W-2 employee, which is great. It is so rare to see a kid come out of college and start a small business and have success that you've had you've bought a house you own a business you're generating income for yourself and you're working for yourself and you're 23 mm -hmm. my question to you is how have you done that i think you're more the exception than i am here i'm 41 years old how have you done that no that's a good question i wasn't ready for that one um man i went to college and I thought I knew, like probably a lot of people's story, I thought I knew exactly what I was going to do with my life, like your story. I mean, I, I had a plan. I thought it was going to go one way, and it just completely went the other way. And so just sitting, just confused. I mean, I had already committed to college and committed to the Air Force. I mean, ready to be a pilot and all this stuff. And then I knew I wanted to graduate at least or something, so I went and just set in marketing classes, basically. I didn't care about marketing or anything, but I'd say the biggest thing conclusion I came to, and there's nothing against W-2 employees of at all, not. because of half of my friends not. are, of and, course. and I mean- Hey, I was. Yeah, well, I and there's was. times as a business owner, I you sometimes wish, wish I was. Yep. There's times yep. I look up and I'm like, it'd be kind of nice to just, they mm. pull the taxes for me, yeah. Yeah. they pay my insurance, <laughs> like, yeah. it'd be kind of nice. Yeah. So there's some benefit for sure um, in that, but I knew that I always wanted to not have a ceiling on myself. I, I knew that I had seen friends and you're never gonna own Walmart. You might be a project manager one day or you might, but for me, I always wanted this creative kind of feeling of I don't want the, there to be a limit because if I wanna change, if I wanna, I mean, I like, like your son, I like getting hyper-focused on something and then I switch it up and my brain kind of moves around too. I think that's where me and you connect. And in that way, I didn't want to be limited to one nine to five job mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. I didn't care necessarily about the money. I cared more about the actual thing I was doing and mm. wanting to be happy in my day job, wanting mm. to be happy when I wake up, excited to work. In mm. fact, that's why I think I was successful is because I was so passionate about the job because it was a hobby that I turned into a job. Mm. So I would be working until 2 a.m. and people mm. were like, you're working dang hard. It didn't feel hard. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I got lucky. Like I'm blessed mm -hmm. that I was able to do a job that didn't feel hard to mm. me. And I've always respected agents for that too because they're getting to do a job that they get to make their own. And mm -hmm. that's what's fun about being a real estate agent. That's a simple answer. I mean, you basically 
were true to yourself, your interest, your passion, and developed a craft based on that that then you saw was marketable. Absolutely. And you saw other people needed it. And so the 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 value, the lesson there for other kids coming out that are two or three years younger than you, if you truly have a passion, turn it into a craft and then find people that need it. Agreed. And you did that. And you happened to be really good at it. And so I needed it. Yeah. Other people needed it. And so um, congratulations and good for you for stepping out there and not kind of giving in to fear and going, I'm just going to go do the safe thing going, Hey, look, this passion of mine is what I love. It's what I care about. And I get so much satisfaction out of doing that thing that it's enough. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and that's where I was really blessed because like I have a buddy and he has more creative and talent than I ever had. Mm-hmm. And it's with music. That mm-hmm. dude can sit behind a computer and create a song with a computer that you think is a top charts song. And he's even messed around with it. And he has 150,000 views on just one video of something he made in his basement as a joke. Yeah. And I told him, I was like, dude, have you ever thought about following that? And his, his concern to me was, hey, I, I, it's just so risky. Scary, bro. It's scary stepping yeah. off that cliff. So I guess my biggest advice to people if they were trying to do that is you have to understand what's important to you mm-hmm. and it makes the risk less scary. For me, the importance was that I was doing something I loved and I was willing to be broke doing it. And the money was a byproduct of me following it, but it wasn't the focus. And in the same way, if you think about the money and you think about the hours and all that stuff, yeah, it gets very scary. So trying to think more about, hey, but what's the chance that I could wake up happy I'm doing what I'm doing and be motivated naturally, not having to motivate myself. Mm. Literally, I'm motivated because I love what I do. Mm. You've seen me with new camera gear and stuff, the new camera we're shooting on right now. I just was messing with all the settings and stuff. And a lot of people would be like, yeah, that's the worst part. And I'm like, that's my favorite part. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And so I'm blessed. Let's leave it here. Let's I agree. leave it here because I think the parting words that I would have is passion is the most attractive thing about any human. 